So, Will. Yes? In a very iconic moment in this week's movie that, when explained, is baffling. I think it's generous to say that it's explained. Well, I mean, explained when summarizing the film. It is not explained in the movie. Yeah. Um, A woman dies and then is brought back to life by the power of cats licking and biting her. Yeah, they suck her blood and thus a transference of power is made. It's like kind of grisly just watching that cat just it, gnaw on her finger. Yeah, that's definitely the worst part. Uh, the funny thing is the rest of them just walk on her and one licks her mouth. Yeah, it's like it's like those goat workouts where you have a goat stand on your back. Yeah, but just you're dead and there's 20 cats. Yeah. But it does raise the question. Which of those cats are jellical? I think they're all jellical because they're all strays, aren't they? I suppose. Is is Selena Kyle not jellical? Because no matter how many times she dies, she cannot ascend to the heavy side layer. Well, speaking of unexplained, what makes a jellical cat a jellical cat? Isn't it that they go to the jellical ball? So unless she goes to the jellical ball, she's not a jellical cat? I, I guess so. Um, I remember that a cat is not a dog, but I don't totally remember what makes a cat a jellical cat. Because I thought maybe all cats are jellical cats. I think all cats may be jellical cats. But it does, like, is Selena Kyle cat enough to be jellical? That's a question only Andrew Lloyd Webber can answer. Yeah, and I mean, when you think about Selena Kyle as a character who is frustrated by the way that her life is not measuring up to the standards that she imagines it should, you know, the way that she comes home every time and says, honey, I'm home. Well, that's right. I'm not married. Being a cat that is not jellical is a dark reflection of that. I was trying to remember the song, like the jellical ball song from Cats. And the first song I sang in my head is when you're a cat, you're a cat all the way. And I was like, that's not right. <laughs> Look, it could be. It could be. And I would watch it. Just imagine... West Side Story, but they're all in the cats' costumes from the 1980s production for no reason. That'd be good. I would like that. Actually, only the Jets are in the cats' costumes. And the rest are in digital fur technology? (laughs) Sure. I was going to say the rest are just dressed in their normal, like, stage costumes. So for some reason, half of the city is cats. Digital fur technology. Release the butthole cut. Something I still stand by. Look, I mean... Tom Hooper says that that's a movie about tribalism, so what you're describing seems like it would work. Oh my god. Okay, but I do have a question for you. (laughs) Oh, sure. You're dead. You're laying in an alley. You can pick one animal that comes and either licks or gnaws on you, and you come back to life with the power of that animal. What animal would you choose? For the life of me, I don't know why, but as soon as you asked me this question... I thought of hedgehogs. Interesting. (laughs) So I think I just have to go with instinct because this movie is nothing but unbridled instinct brought to the surface. This movie is just id. Right. So I, I just have to go with that impulse. And so I guess I would be licked to life by hedgehogs who would just like putter across my body. And when I came back, either physically or through a costume... I would have spines, and I could curl up, and I assume somehow I would use this to intimidate people and either commit or stop crimes, or maybe both. But what speed would you have to go? Uh, Would you have to go fast? I think so. Are hedgehogs fast? 
uh, you know Sonic is basically this character. <laughs> well, I was imagining something a little more hedgehog-looking, to be okay. honest. It's hard to get less hedgehog-looking than Sonic the Hedgehog. Well, there's bad Sonic that did not make it into that movie, but did make it into Rescue Rangers. Oh, right. Did you know that bad Sonic appears in Rescue Rangers? No, but now I want to watch Rescue Rangers, kind it's, of. It's pretty good. And there's, like, at some con that one of them is signing autographs at, there's one aisle of, like, cartoons that are not beloved, and one of them is Bad Sonic, voiced by Tim Robinson. That is great casting. Rescue Rangers is pretty fun. I think they should have stuck by Bad Sonic, personally. Give us the teeth. I mean, here's the thing. When Paramount released the first Sonic teaser, and Sonic looked horrifying, and there was all this backlash, and they said, back to the drawing board, we're reanimating every frame in which Sonic appears to make him look more like the video game. It was objectively the correct aesthetic choice. Sonic looks better. However, it is almost Snyder Cut level disastrous for creating an entitled fan culture, where they think they can just rally enough online noise to demand whatever they want, because they are the true people to whom this belongs, and there is no vision more important than that of the fans. And I think as we're, that's something to keep in mind as we talk about Batman Returns, a movie that is completely the vision of the artists who made it. Yes. And very beloved by fans. Uh, Yes, although that's more now than then. Yeah. I also think this This movie movie underperformed. This movie is more of a gay classic than like a superhero movie at this point. Have you seen the Schumachers? No, not yet. But Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman is up there in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I think you're going to like some of the performances in the Schumachers if you watch them. I can't fully recommend them, especially Batman and Robin, but there are some performances there. I have seen clips of Uma Thurman's Poison Ivy, and I am intrigued. She's great. Um, Nicole Kidman has Chase Meridian. is hilarious. <laughs> I don't know who that is. She's just like a woman. I think she's like a reporter or something. She's like a love interest for Bruce Wayne. Okay. But no, no, she's a psychologist who... I watched all these, like, late at night over the summer, so <laughs> I only retained some of it. Um, Chase Meridian is a psychologist who shows up and is like, look, clearly, like, Batman is some, like, weird, like, messed up sexual fantasy. But then, like, the minute she meets Batman, she's like, actually, Batman is my messed up sexual fantasy. <laughs> I have no interest in Bruce Wayne. I just want to bang Batman. Okay, see, that is fairly plausible. I believe that character motivation. To be perfectly frank. Because what would lead her to investigate this if not a already existent sexual desire for the Batman? Yeah, Batman Forever is like a very strange movie because it's also the one that says, okay, yes, we understand from Batman Returns you have two big comic book villains. We did Catwoman and the Penguin. Now it's time to do Two-Face and the Riddler. And of course, they will be played by the compatible performers Jim Carrey and Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah, the main thing I know about this movie is Tommy Lee Jones hating Jim Carrey. I believe the quote that gets thrown around is that at some point Tommy Lee Jones got fed up with Jim Carrey on set and told him, I will not sanction your buffoonery. Yeah. How do you come back from that? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I'd ever recover. Um, so, as a hedgehog, Will, 
Yes. What would be your motivation? I don't know. Hog hedges. Like, keep everyone <laughs> out of the bushes. <laughs> They're mine. <laughs> so I imagine there's like a poison ivy quality of, you know, I become the defender of the plants. But in a much more, like, less pretending to a noble causeway, you just want the plants to yourself. Right. I, I'm going to eat them. Yeah. My thought is sewer gators. Cool. So a bunch of sewer gators crawl out of the sewers, and the problem is, it's hard to picture a world where they don't just devour the corpse. But, to gain the power of a sewer gator, where you can just, like, jump into the sewers and swim around, and then no one believes in you, because also they're not real, but then, I guess, just stealing things, and putting a stop to the alligator skin trade at fancy leather stores i mean on a certain level you're describing the penguin at the start of this movie where the the like mysterious penguin man is a rumor where people are like ah do you think there's really a penguin man in the sewers yes i was picturing like national inquirer this seems to be a bit more honestly i was getting the sense that this was a bit more believed in but there seems to be more evidence for the penguin man well yeah the penguin man is real yes true but, you know, I was picturing my, just like the Penguin Man, my uh, secret identity is just no one believing that the sewer gators exist. But, yeah, the hard thing to get around is, you know, the whole predatory element of the alligator. Right. So another option would be a giraffe, because I like giraffes, and you're just super tall. Right. See, I think this was your answer a couple weeks ago when we talked about the lobster, and we talked about what animals we would become. Oh, yes. I just like the idea of being tall enough to reach the best leaves off the tree because it you get to be selective. I would not be surprised if there was a Batman villain called the Giraffe who is just a really tall person who used that for evil. There's not one that I know of. I would believe it if you told me that was like a Dick Tracy villain. I mean, Batman villains get weird. That's the thing. Like, Giraffe is kind of too simple for a Batman villain. Yeah, uh, You know, that's true. Whereas Dick Tracy villains, that's where, like, we're going to make fun of a guy who's got a funny face. Is that a Dick Tracy villain? I mean, I, I, I don't know. Like, that's the vibe of them. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's just Two-Face. Yeah, but Two-Face has, like, all this other crap piled on top of him. Right? He's got the whole obsession with the number two. He's got the coin flipping. Yeah. I mean, in the Nolan series, Two-Face is just a disfigured man for the most part. He's much less obsessed with the number two. Tommy Lee Jones' Two-Face is bananas. God, I gotta watch that movie. You know, Two-Face was supposed to be in this movie at one point. As we learned from Spider-Man, three villains is too many. Well, he was gonna be in it before the Penguin was. Billy D. Williams plays Harvey Dent in Batman 89. Oh, right. I forgot about that. And so then he was gonna play Two-Face in this and Warner Brothers was like, no, we want the Penguin. The Penguin is well known because of Burgess Meredith on the TV show. You have to use the Penguin. So they <laughs> had to buy out Billy D. Williams' contract. They like paid him a bunch of money not to be in this movie. That's my dream job. And then um, he's, he's not the only black man paid to not be in this movie. Oh, that's so fitting for Tim Burton. Billy D. Williams was not Burton's choice as much as it was the studio's. Yeah. It's Warner Brothers and... It sounds like John Peters, who really wanted the Penguin. But then the Billy D. Williams, the Harvey Dent plotline gets turned into Max Shrek. And in early versions of the script, the like electrocution of Max Shrek at the end of the movie, when it was Harvey Dent, that was going to be what turned him into Two-Face. I mean, 
what is the plan with him just stealing energy? I assume he's going to hoard it for some reason. Maybe sell it back to the city. Yeah. I do love how unfleshed out Max Shrek's plan is. Look, Max Shrek is a slumlord who wants to build a power vacuum that will suck power out of the city's power plants and then store it for some reason. It's true that, like, you know, if this movie were made today, he would have, like, a giant Iron Man suit or something that, like, he wants the power to fuel. Yeah, he would need something to be fueled instead of just hoarding energy. And as they were initially going, it was going to be even more hypothetical because in this one, they at least have the model of the thing. But that was Christopher Walken on set being like, you know, it'd be handy if I could, like, point to some blueprints or something. And... Walken talks about it as, like, being how cool the craft departments on this movie were, where he's like, yeah, I said, like, oh, it'd be nice to have a blueprint. And, like, four hours later, I had a model of the thing that I could use. But, like, it it is funny the extent to which Tim Burton and Daniel Waters, who wrote the movie, just had no interest in the plot. They're just like, let's just, let's just hang out with these weirdo characters. I... I said this to you after we watched it, because we did watch a screening of this together at the Alamo Draft House, which is the perfect way to watch this movie. Yeah, I had never seen it in a theater before, and it has just so increased my appreciation of this movie, which I already liked a lot. But my first thought as the credits roll is, the term fever dream is often overused. But for this movie, if you take a step back and describe the plot, It sounds like someone experiencing a 106-degree fever wrote down a movie after reading a Batman comic. And I mean, you know, if I'm not mistaken, the last movie you saw at the Alamo was Elvis, which is literally a morphine-induced fever dream. You are correct, and this movie is weirder. Well, it it goes for weirdness for the whole runtime. It does. See, that is the mistake of Elvis, and that's what Batman Returns gets right. And that's why, to all the Academy members who listen to this show, instead of voting for Elvis on your nominations ballots this year, vote for Batman Returns. You know what we should do, Will? What? Start the episode. Welcome to We Love the Love, a Hollywood romance podcast. I'm Mark and I'm gay. And I'm Will and I'm a ginger. This is an investigative podcast dedicated to examining the very least important question facing our world. Does Hollywood holiday romance actually make any sense? And are these people actually dateable? Or even... Christmassy, likable. <laughs> it doesn't matter if the romance is a main plot or a one-scene flirtation. We will dig in it and see what's there. And this week, as we have repeatedly said, we are talking about Tim Burton's glorious 1992 superhero sequel, Batman Returns, starring Michael Keaton, Michelle Barely. Pfeiffer, Danny DeVito, and some other people. That's true. Michael Keaton does play the title character, but he barely speaks in this movie. This is not a Batman movie. This is a Catwoman movie. If this were part of a Batman TV show, you'd be like, oh, this is like an interesting episode where Batman is kind of sidelined. Right. But instead, it is a major event film. Yeah. In a duology series, you don't get a lot of um, villain perspective episodes quite like a long-running TV show, but they did it. Yeah, well, I mean, of course, at the time they were making this, The intention was to keep making Batman movies, and of course they did. Batman Forever and Batman and Robin are in continuity with these movies. Oh, are they? I thought they swapped the continuity. No, you know, it's a loose continuity. I mean, even this movie is barely in continuity with the previous one. There's an offhand reference 
to Vicky Vale being Batman's ex-girlfriend. But that's it. Like, nobody's talking about what went down with the Joker. Uh, yeah, but that's just another day in Gotham. And that was deliberate, by the way, which we'll talk about. But yeah, it's, it's like the 89 to 97 Batman movies are in a loose continuity with recurring characters. Most notably, Michael Goff as Alfred is in all of them and, and Pat Hingle as Commissioner Gordon. It's one of those things where, like, it's like the Bond movies, at minimum, they don't contradict each other. Mm. And sometimes they might reference things that happened in a movie with a different actor. Okay. Whereas then, in 2005, you get the Nolan movies, and they're just like, this is a different thing. Yeah. And then, in 2016, you get Batman versus Superman, and they're like, this is a different thing. And then, in 2022, you get the Batman, and they're like, this is a different thing. But don't forget, we did get another villain perspective movie in the film The Joker, which is also a different thing. It is a different thing. Mark, I need to know your thoughts now on Joker 2. I unfortunately feel the need to watch it because if it is a musical with Joaquin Phoenix and Lady Gaga as a Harley Quinn, I am interested because it sounds super gay. They kind of did the one thing that would make me interested. It's like... There was one choice they could have made to hook me. Two choices were needed to hook me in. Lady Gaga and also songs. It's funny, you know, I'm not the only person to make this joke, but it is what I thought of when I saw it. Like, there were all the complaints, I among them, after Joker came out of like, well, this is just like a rehash of better Scorsese movies, like, you know, Bean Streets and especially King of Comedy and Taxi Driver. But then you're like, okay, so, like, what's going to be his next, like, Scorsese pastiche? Like, we're about to see, like, Goodfellas or The Wolf of Wall Street. If it's New York, New York, that I'm interested in. If he goes all the way and it's, like, those weird two-dimensional backdrops. Speaking of backdrops, though, this movie took Gotham up to the 11. Oh, my God. There are just stone faces everywhere, including in the sewers. The Art Deco, like, full-on, like, they openly talked about, like, Nazi architecture. Atlas Shrugged vibes. It's so cool. It's Bo Welch, who does the production designer for a ton of Burton movies, especially his best ones. And they built all new sets for this one, which was not originally the plan. They filmed the first Batman in London at Pinewood Studios. And that movie was such a big hit that Warner Brothers was like, all right, we're just going to hold on to the sets for however long it takes us to make the next one. So they were like paying rent at Pinewood to hold on to the sets. They were paying for security for those Batman sets because they were like, obviously we're going to use these again. And then when they go to make Batman Returns, Tim Burton is like, Batman 89 has like this weird British vibe. I don't like it. We should make this one in America. So they didn't reuse those sets and they built entirely new ones. And they built these huge like vertiginous like art deco skyscrapers. It's the coolest thing. All these narrow streets and tall buildings. It looks very cool. It looks even faker than the Gotham of the 89 Batman. Which I love. I love the sort of like hyper stylized nature of it all. I like the um, rundown carnival that seems to have originally been built with the intention of linking to the sewers. You're talking about the zoo? Yeah. Arctic world. I think I assumed it was a carnival because they're all, like, supposed to be the ex-freak show performers. No, so I think the Red Triangle Circus is unrelated. (laughs) Because early on, we have this prologue with Penguin being abandoned by his parents. And there's this camera that is sort of soaring over the park where they dump him. And it goes in through, like, 
a gate that's labeled zoo and like past a bunch of different like pens and stuff, abandoned like animal pens and stuff like that. And then it goes to Arctic World. So Arctic World is just the area of the zoo where the penguins are. It's okay. like the penguin house. Then where does this circus come in? Also, what year is it? Um, I, I don't know. What year does it feel like? Um, simultaneously 1936 and 1986. Yeah, I think it's both. Yeah. Like, Max Shrek is an 80s character. Right. But stylized to look like a robber baron. <laughs> His look was based on a Vincent Price character. And then the technology they show is largely contemporaneous. But the plot includes evil carnies kidnapping children. Yes. Look, Tim Burton loves a weird circus. I mean, true. You know when he called Danny DeVito about being in his Dumbo movie, he said, we have to complete our circus trilogy. (laughs) And he meant Batman Returns, Big Fish, Dumbo. I do, real quick, mentioning Max Shrek, want to give a shout out to the man who (laughs) imitated Christopher Walken's distinctive voice to play his son. Yeah, it is funny how that guy is, like, doing a walk-in. Yeah, which makes Christopher Walken sound even weirder, like, and more alien. Having someone else faking the accent. It's great. So, Mark, unless I'm wrong, you had not really seen this movie before. I had seen, like, the middle half. Like, I missed the beginning and I missed the very end. How did that happen? I think you were watching it on TV and I had sandwich plans where I came home and you were partway through and then I sat down and watched it, but I had something else to do that night. So I left. This was probably like when I did my big Burton watch. Right. And when we still lived together. Yeah. And then I was always like, wow, I really got to return to Batman Returns and see the whole thing. But it just never happened. Yeah. So that would have been like early 2019. That's the first time I watched it. I watched it again. No, that must have been 28. No, that would have been 2019. And then I watched it again in the fall of 2019. And then now, this time we watched it together. And like I said, just seeing it in a theater really emphasized what a triumph this movie is of, like, combining comedy and, like, horniness and, like, genuinely some scary stuff. Not just in the same movie, but often in the same scene. I wasn't expecting the horniness. I was not expecting there to be a boner joke in this Batman movie. Is this the only boner joke in a Batman movie? Probably, but I couldn't say for sure. And I have not seen the Suicide Squad movie that Batman appears in. Okay. Yeah. That's the only other contender. But this movie, yeah, there is definitely a... Well, it's like a semi-joke. There's also, like, the two different angles of horniness in it. Because there's the Penguin who is, like openly discussing his desire to grope every woman he encounters. While running for mayor. While running for mayor. And then there is also just Catwoman, who every time she's on screen, it's like, watch out for flying popcorn. And Bruce Wayne is very horny for Catwoman, like for Selina Kyle. He is, but like only as much as the Keaton Bruce Wayne can be horny. Yeah. Because Keaton's whole take on Batman is like, Batman is a maniac who has no life beyond being Batman. And that's like, there's the great shot early in this movie of him just sitting in a chair in a dark room waiting for the bat signal to go off. Great moment. 
But it's also the only movie that implies that Batman Well, that's because you haven't seen Chase Meridian. True. (laughs) And, you know, the Nolan movies have him as this, like, kind of, like, celibate after Maggie Gyllenhaal dies. Right. I do know, so... You have not seen any of the Snyder movies, I think. I yeah, I don't think I've ever seen any Zack Snyder movie. Oh, I watched Watchmen when it came out. So, in Batman vs. Superman, there are these, like, weird dream sequences, which featured prominently in the marketing of that movie. And then, in the Snyder cut, it ends with this, like, flash forward to a dark future, where, like, Superman has gone evil. And the whole thing is a tease for a sequel that will never be made. And... One of the inciting events of that dark future, which is only kind of like hinted at, because again, Snyder wants to tease this out in a sequel that will never happen. One of the inciting events is that Bruce Wayne had sex with Lois, and that made Superman angry, and he turned evil. Oh my god. That is intriguing, but doesn't really fit the Superman story. Well, you're now hitting on the general problem with Zack Snyder's Superman. I mean, I don't think any Superman movie has really captured, like, the heart of Superman in a way. I mean, I love the Donner movie. Like, the original Superman the movie. Yeah. I haven't seen that one in so long, so it's hard to remember. But it's still just, like, I don't know. Because the point is Superman is an outsider, and often that does not seem to be captured. Yeah, I mean, for a long time, I wanted us to do Superman Returns, which is the movie that's, like, all messy about, like, Superman as, like, the person who wants to do good and, you know, has these connections on Earth, but also is an outsider and wishes he could find a way to go to Krypton and be with his people. But we're never going to do that movie because we're not going to do a Brian Singer-Kevin Spacey joint. Yikes. (laughs) Yes, we will not be doing that. So, a shame, because I had it on the long list of movies to do for a long time. Wow. Yep, that's a that's a hard cut. Yeah. Kevin Spacey. I wonder if he's doing a Christmas video this year. You know, I stopped watching them a while ago. It's the kind of thing that it's interesting to know that they're out there, but if I can be frank, I do not really need to hear from him. Yeah. No, I never need to hear from him again, but the existence of them is very fascinating. Yeah. So Batman Returns is directed by Tim Burton, as we said. He had made Batman 1989, which was a gigantic hit. It's a sea change in the culture because before that, superhero movies were not a huge thing. There had been Superman, which was a big hit, but the sequels were not, especially Superman 4, which was the most recent one. And so these were seen as like a big risk, an expensive risk that probably wouldn't pay off. But Batman was this enormous hit. And so Warner Brothers was like, yes, Tim Burton, please make us another Batman movie. And Tim Burton didn't really want to initially because he felt like it wasn't really his movie because of studio interference. That's mostly John Peters interference, who we've talked about Barbara Streisand's hairdresser played by Bradley Cooper in Licorice Pizza. So finally they were like, look, Tim Burton, you have to make this movie because you're the only person like, we don't understand what made that movie work. So you have to do it. So he agreed to come back in exchange for greater control. And one of those elements was John Peters was banned from set. I feel like more movies need to have had that power exerted. I mean, today, it's just standard, right? John Peters is banned from set. Yeah, I don't think he shows up anymore. So then what Burton does is he throws out the screenplay that had been written by Sam Hamm, who also wrote Batman. 
Because Burton is like, I don't want a sequel to Batman. I want to do basically an entirely disconnected movie that just won't contradict the other one. So, like, Sam Hamm had written Batman 2, which was the Harvey Dent movie. And, like, Vicki Vale was still in it. She and Bruce Wayne were engaged. But instead, Burton is like, I want Daniel Waters, who had just written Heathers, and had openly said, I do not like the Batman movie. Fascinating. And Waters really wanted to push this movie. He talked a lot about how there needed to be, like, a harder-edged Batman. He had lines in the script about how Gotham didn't deserve protection. Batman was, like, murdering tons of people. Okay, there is much more death in this Batman movie than usual. And Batman does kill people in this movie, but they do dial back some of that. In large part because Waters wrote all these really dark speeches, and Michael Keaton was like, I don't think Batman's a talker. Yeah, Michael Keaton just doesn't talk enough. Yeah. So Keaton was like, we're cutting that line, we're cutting that line, good line, not going to be in this movie. So really, it's Burton and Waters who are shaping the script. Eventually, Wesley Strick was hired to do a rewrite, mostly to add motivation for the Penguin. Because, like, in the earlier Penguin drafts, Penguin teamed up with, like, a bondage gear Catwoman to murder Gotham's elite. Again, lots of murder. uh, And take their money. And... People were like, well, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Can we get something else? And so Wesley Strick comes on, and he's the guy who comes up with the penguin killing Gotham's firstborn plot. Because, again, they wanted the penguin to have a clear motivation. So they're like, what if he murders all the firstborn children as revenge for he himself being thrown in a basket, Moses-style, in a river to be raised by penguins and circus people? This movie is bizarre. It's also just funny because, like, again, the penguin in Batman comics is just a mobster. Yeah, he's just, he's like just a mafioso boss. Right, the joke with naming him the Penguin is it's like, oh, when you, you know, a guy wears a tuxedo, he looks kind of like a penguin. But this one, it's like, what if he were an animalistic monster? Who had flippers. Right, who has flippers. He's so horrifying when he's born that his parents keep him in a cage. Those are bad parents. They are bad parents. But also, that kid, like, eats a cat live. Yeah. He was not always that animalistic. Like, they wrote the Penguin into the script early on. And at that point, Burton's like, maybe we should get Marlon Brando to play the Penguin. And Warner Brothers wanted Dustin Hoffman. It's once they decided on Monstrous Penguin, they were like, now Danny DeVito seems like our guy. I don't think anyone else could have played this character. Yeah, Jack Nicholson is the one who convinced DeVito to do it. He's like, Burton will treat you right. He'll let you be weird. <laughs> Boy, did he. Yeah. So the, uh, the like, black ooze that's always coming out of the Penguin's mouth. And those. That's a concoction that DeVito made with some of the costume people. It's like mouthwash and food coloring, and he just squirted it in his mouth before scenes. He's not, the like, the black ooze is what really elevates him to inhuman. <laughs> the scene that kills me is the one where Penguin is told that he is going to be running for mayor of Gotham. And he had been, like, up in the attic in his, like, underwear. His, like, suspended underwear. His union suit. Right. And then Christopher Walken comes up to be like, hey, I got to talk to you. Gives him a fish. And so then Beckman comes downstairs to be told, like, you're running for mayor. He is in his underwear. He also the whole time is holding this fish that he started eating from the middle. Like, it's a whole fish that he has bitten into the middle of it. So he's got half a fish in each hand the entire time. And for the entire scene, he'll be looking at someone and constantly glancing down at the fish. And you're like, the only thing this guy is thinking about is, is it okay if I keep eating my fish? Don't forget that his underwear is like diarrhea stain too. (laughs) Like they really, 
elevated the grossness of that underwear. It's horrifying. And he like, he is a character that you can't ask too many questions about because you're like, the Penguin has a lot of knowledge about how the surface world works. Like, he understands the Hall of Records immediately. He's, like, making references to restaurants. He, like, is very familiar with Christmas and all of that. But it also seems like he has never spent much time in the surface. <sighs> how do you solve a problem like the Penguin? Uh, I don't want to solve him. I have no problem with the Penguin. <laughs> I just, this movie doesn't care. This movie said we're making choices that are entertaining and anything else can go, like, jump in a river or be pushed in a baby stroller into a river. What a what a great movie. I think the thing that just really sells this movie is the penguin funeral. When 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 Danny DeVito has died and six emperor penguins walk him into the water. Yeah, solemnly. like slowly push his body into the river or the sewer with, with such dignity and grace. It's hysterical. And the penguins there's a mix of there are actual emperor penguins that were kept on set. They had their own, like, green room, basically, that was kept refrigerated and had a pool so they could hang out. There are also some digital penguins in there. There are animatronic puppets made by Stan Winston, and there are little people in penguin suits. So there's all kinds of different penguins in the mix in this movie. That's too many types of penguins. Yeah. But that's how you get all the different movements. You got penguins with rockets strapped on their backs, which PETA was not happy about. Love those penguins. They're so funny. They're so funny. And they get disrupted because, as comes up repeatedly in this movie, Batman, very good at jamming radio signals. That's the thing. Like, it's that technology that dates this movie. The use of a CD is the only thing about it that makes it seem like it's not 1936. Yeah, yeah. and they got, you know, color TV and all that. Yeah. I just love that Alfred does most of the work on the, like, computers. Tech guy Alfred is always fun. Yeah. No giant penny in the Batcave, though. No, that's the thing. I want a Batcave with a giant penny. I want a Batcave with a dinosaur, like a dinosaur corpse. I want a weird Batman. And, like, I feel like as Batman has gotten more serious, nowhere has it been more clear than with Alfred, where, like, Michael Goff's Alfred is a butler, but he is also, like, a guy who's going to, like, make jokes and do the tech stuff. And then Michael Caine is, like, mostly butler, but he makes these references to, you know, when he was in Her Majesty's Secret Service. And then you've got the Jeremy Irons and Andy Serkis Alfreds, and those guys are like, as we all know, I was once a secret agent, and now I help you be Batman. The funny thing is that they all, all the Alfreds are going the Archer route <laughs> with his butler Wadsworth, where he became like a secret agent who perhaps was his father and raised him. And the Batmans followed suit of Archer? Who are your Batmans? Where are you on cinematic Batman? I mean, obviously I grew up with Nolan's. Like, Batman Begins came out when we were, like, early teens, I think. It was 2005. Oh, wow. Younger. I shouldn't have seen that movie in theaters, but I did. It was, like, 11. I saw it the next year at an outdoor screening. Yeah. So, obviously, like, those that those are my Batman movies. Because I was prime age to watch those. And then I've seen... The original Batman. By the original Batman, you mean Batman 89? Yeah. I have not seen any of the post-Christian Bale Batmans. Okay. Are you into animated Batman at all? Like, are you an no, animated I'm series? Not are you Lego Batman? Into, I'm, really, I'm really not much of a superhero guy. Yeah, fair. 
my superhero knowledge is fairly limited. I had a funny realization watching this movie that, like, you say Batman to me, I picture comic book art. You say Bruce Wayne, I picture Christian Bale. He's a great Bruce Wayne. Yeah. I think that's what he gets to do that, really, none of the 90s Batman ever had a chance to be, right? Those movies are about Batman. Bruce Wayne is barely a character in them. Whereas Nolan is really interested in, like, who's the guy who puts on this mask? Right. And, like, watching Christian Bale play the, you know, tortured Bruce Wayne pretending to be the billionaire playboy is very fun. Especially in The Dark Knight Rises, a movie that I love, where he's, like, been hobbled by his years of fights. And on the other hand, then you've got, like, I like basically all the Batmans. Like, there's not a Batman performance that I really dislike. I really like Affleck as Batman. But, I mean, he never really got a proper showcase. Like, there is no Batman movie starring Ben Affleck. But that feels like it's trying to swing back to, like, we all want to see a badass Batman, so we're going to focus on that. And then the rest of the time, he'll, like, look good in a suit. I do like, I think, I don't think you want to watch three hours of Pattinson Batman, but I do like that they just make him, like, a weird little freak. I am intrigued in weird little freaks. So if I were to divide it up in my mind into two hour and a half movies, I could perhaps do it. You might dig it. It's it's a cool movie that I've been meaning to rewatch, and I probably will not by the time we do our top tens. I don't think it would make the cut, but like it's a it's a movie I liked a lot. And I especially got excited when the Riddler was imprisoned. And I looked at my phone and there was an hour left in that movie. And that's when I knew like, oh, this movie is doing something different than what I thought it was. Like he's imprisoned at that point and doesn't get out. Like that's it for the Riddler. Oh, I just assumed there was a jailbreak. No. Hmm. I'm intrigued. I love Catwoman. She's great. Catwoman. But that's not even Zoe Kravitz's best movie this year. Did Kimmy come out this year or last year? Kimmy was this year. (sighs) This year seems to have flown by and then I remember media and it shocks me how long ago that feels death on the nile was this year enough champagne to fill the nile yeah moonfall this year the 355 what (laughs) moonfall came out this year yeah oh my god that is a great how did this get made episode it's gonna be fun to do our top tens next week huh all right so of course the other big role that we have not talked about in this movie is catwoman michelle pfeiffer is amazing in this movie She rocks. She's kind of doing the Christian Bale Batman voice before Christian Bale and putting on this like weird modulated voice that no human sounds like. To be fair, you know, Christian Bale, you can watch his like test the footage on the internet. Like you can watch him testing for Batman and like he has the voice there. He clearly prepared it for his audition. But as far as Michelle Pfeiffer, she's talked about how, like, that Catwoman mask was, like, smushing her face. So maybe it's just a physical response. Yeah, that might be true. She cannot breathe. It does not look like she can breathe in that mask. No, and, like, for the suit, it's based on a cast of her body. They had to, like, coat her in baby powder to get it on. There was not nearly enough fabric in that jacket that she used no. to make that suit. Some of the suits are also padded because some of the first suits they made before they could get the Pfeiffer ones done, were based on a cast of Annette Benning, who was the original person cast as Catwoman. And Annette Benning is more well-endowed than Michelle Pfeiffer, and so they had to put padding in it. And Michelle Pfeiffer's like, thank goodness for those suits. I Wearing that looks awful. It's an incredibly cool look. It's the kind of thing in movies. We talked about this some with uh, Zemeckis in Romancing the Stone, where it's like, this is a, a director and an art team that understand how to create really powerful images 
and really in, like indelible lasting images, but by making people do just the most ridiculous things with their body. Yeah. Actors become objects to them. And you know, you think especially about these Batman movies, which is where the word toyetic comes from. This comes more with the Schumacher movies, but the idea of the movies being described as toyetic, as in like, what pieces of them can be turned into toys? And can we incorporate more pieces that can be turned into toys? So, like, the Schumacher movies have, like, tons of different vehicles, for example. Or different, they'll wear, like, multiple different costumes. Because each costume is a different action figure. Each vehicle is a different playset that you can sell. And that's coming out of Batman 1989 was, like, revolutionary as a merchandising thing. Where it sold, like, half a billion dollars worth of merchandise. But that wasn't, like, the plan. No, it wasn't the plan with, with the original Batman. But with this one, there's more intention around that. Um, Warner Brothers announced that to stave off counterfeit merchandise, all the officially licensed Batman merch would have this like holographic tag with a silhouette of Batman's cowl on it. I'm sure people cared enough. Yeah. One thing, though, is like this one is leaning in more to Batman as a merchandising thing. And again, the Schumacher movies like triple down on that. But it did lead to some backlash because this is an incredibly horny and violent PG-13 movie. And so, like, McDonald's got a ton of letters about, like, why do you have Happy Meal toys in this movie? I took my kid to see it, and it freaked them out. Yeah, I would be terrified of Danny DeVito's character. Yeah. So, we were talking about Catwoman. So, I mentioned Annette Bening was originally cast in the role. Like, she was good to go. But then she got pregnant and wasn't going to be able to do the shoot. So, at that point, it became one of those, like, everyone's screen tests for the role. Like, who's who of young woman stars in Hollywood. The one person who famously did not screen test is Sean Young. From Blade Runner. Oh, yeah. You probably heard about this on You Must Remember This last season. Mm-hmm. Where Sean Young had been cast as Vicky Vale in Batman 89, but then she got injured, couldn't do the movie, Kim Basinger got the part. And then when this movie's coming up, Sean Young felt like she should be first in line because she had been cast in the previous one, and she campaigned hard for the role. Like, she wanted to play Catwoman. This included crashing the Warner Brothers lot in a homemade Catwoman costume and, like, filming herself looking for Tim Burton, who reportedly hid under his desk to avoid her finding him. She did actually run into Michael Keaton and talk to him a little bit. She showed the video on Entertainment Tonight. She, like, went on Arsenio. She was, like, campaigning hard for it. And they always just took a hard line of, like, not the person we want. That's so uncomfortable for everyone involved. Right. Oof. But Michelle Pfeiffer was the correct casting. She's great. I don't know if Sean Young would have put a live bird in her mouth, and Michelle Pfeiffer did. Yeah. And Michelle Pfeiffer famously successfully used the whip to knock off all four mannequin heads in one shot, which they clearly weren't prepared for because that one take didn't make the movie. They cut away. You do see three of them go in one take. You do three, but I think they were just like... They'd written it where they were probably cutting back to her face after each one or something. I mean, that's a choice you make in the editing bay. Yeah. Like, they had to take. They could have done it. But it's better to see her face before she hits the last one. But it still is just like... I think especially better to see her face because in a wide enough shot to see her with the mannequins, you can't necessarily tell that it's Pfeiffer. Like, you want to ground it with the performer. Whereas we know that it was not a body double. But it's better being able to see that it... On some level, is she in the scene? I can't believe she put a live bird in her mouth. I know. probably wasn't happy about that either. No, they weren't. PETA did not love this movie. I can imagine. Um, 
sort of our last casting thing we have to talk about is that Marlon Wayans was cast as Robin. They designed props for him. They designed costumes for him. Burton was like really adamant that he wanted a black Robin. And then as they were getting close to the shooting start, they decided like this movie is too messy. We got to cut something. Robin's the thing that can go. And so they cut out Robin. That, by the way, is what Batman is supposed to be doing for most of this movie is hanging out with Robin. That would explain why Batman is barely in this movie. Yeah. So Marlon Wayans, like Billy D. Williams, paid not to be in this movie. Billy D. Williams gets a flat sum. Marlon Wayans gets residuals from this. Good deal. Yeah. There are also Marlon Wayans, Robin action figures. They are hard to identify because they are white. Yikes. Like they had designed it and then he was cut. And at the last minute, the toy companies are like, well, if we put out a black Robin, no one's going to know what that is. Like people are at least vaguely familiar with Robin from the Adam West show. But we can't put out a black Robin toy that's connected to nothing or no one will know what's going on. Like he's not even like a comic book character that we could point people towards. So they did a different paint job. But like if you're looking for it, it's Marlon Wayans. Weird. So while we're, you know, still circling the Michelle Pfeiffer world, should we start talking about the romance of this movie? Yeah, let's do it. Batman Returns opened on June 19th, 1992. It Why? is, of course, a, a Christmas movie. <laughs> Why? It had the biggest opening weekend ever with $46 million, but it held much worse than Batman 89 did due to messy word of mouth. Yeah, I feel like people were probably thrown off by this movie. Yeah, people were perplexed by it. It topped out at $162 million at the North American box office, which is $90 million less than Batman 89 made. So by the time Burton meets with Warner Brothers in the wake of the movie, he's coming in really excited. Like, he did not want to make a Batman 2, but he loved making this, and he comes in with tons of ideas on Batman 3. And they're just like, are you sure you don't want to make a small movie? Like, you know, you just made Edward Scissorhands. Wouldn't that be fun to go back to that? And he's like, oh, you do not want me to make Batman 3. That is quite funny. Yeah. So let's talk about the romance of this movie, which we're mostly going to be talking about, as you said, the the Batman-Catwoman-Bruce Wayne-Selena-Kyle romance. And we will have a point just to talk about the Penguin's general horniness. Oh, thank God. So every week we break down the romantic plotline into five points to guide conversation. Will, what is point number one? So point number one, it's a pair of meetings because... We have two characters that have alter egos. So we have Bruce Wayne meeting Selina Kyle, and we have Batman meeting Catwoman. And I believe Bruce meets Selina first at Max Shrek's office. Yes. Right after she's been brought back to life by the cats. Right. We're like a cool 45 minutes into this movie, and Batman has not had much to do. No. Selina Kyle has already been pushed out of a window by Max Shrek, created her costume, and has showed up for work after... Max Shrek thinks he's murdered her. Right. Selena is a yuppie gal that it's not working out for. She works in the big city in an office. She's got her apartment, but she's sad because she is not a big success at work. We see her like talking herself down as she's cleaning up a meeting. I mentioned the like, honey, I'm home. That's right. I'm not married. But now Bruce Wayne has come to meet with Max Shrek because Max Shrek is looking for investors in his power suck machine. (laughs) Which... Bruce Wayne is um not interested in. Yeah, Bruce is like, this, this seems dumb and bad, and the mayor agrees with me. And Selena, by this point, as you said, has been murdered by Christopher Walken. And so she is chatting with Bruce about, like, yeah, you know, it seems like uh 
you're a good dude, you know what you're doing. And he is like captivated by her, which is correct because every look that Michelle Pfeiffer has in this movie is stunning. It's Michelle Pfeiffer. She can't be anything other than stunning. Right, but there's supposed to be like unbridled sexuality Catwoman and like frizzy, frumpy Selena Kyle. And Selena Kyle looks great too. Yeah, I mean, all they did was slightly muss up her hair. So Bruce is clearly taken with her, as anyone would be, and is doing his best to ask her out, and she's kind of waving him off. Selena, this is Bruce Wayne. Yeah, we've met. Have we? Oh, I'm sorry. You know what? I mistook me for somebody else. Sorry. You mean mistook me? I mistook me. Yeah, yeah. That's what I, isn't that what I said? No, I don't think so. Oh, you know what? At this point, Batman has met Selena Kyle. Because in the opening action sequence, he saved her from one of the clown guys. And when Bruce oh, meets right. her, when Bruce meets her, he says, it's like, oh, good to see you again. Yeah, and she's like, I don't think we've ever met. And he says something like, oh, I must have been thinking of, like, some other me. Right. Some faux pas where we're like, ah, yes, your other identity, Bruce. Yes. But after they meet at the office, he then is intrigued enough to go to Max Shrek's party because Selena Kyle will be there. Well, the Christmas party comes later. Is that after they fight again? The Christmas party is after they've had their date and everything. The Christmas party is where they find out that each other, they identify that they are Batman and Oh my and God, yeah. I really got the order messed up in my head. Yeah, no. Their next meeting is their rooftop fight where Selena Kyle is trying to get revenge on Max Shrek. She's gotten pretty murdery and Batman wants to put a stop to this. And so, you know, they tussle a couple of times. She winds up working with the Penguin. There's that kind of horrifying scene where... The penguin murders the showgirl. Oh my god, yeah. Poor Ice Princess. That's intense. I mean, it's a great scene of the body being thrown down and hitting the switch to light the Christmas tree. But it's freaky stuff. Yeah, again, a lot more death in this. Yeah. But Catwoman is like unbridled sexuality. The way that Selena Kyle is this frustrated, frumpy, single person. Catwoman is like constantly horny. Including flirting with the penguin. Flirting with the penguin, chugging milk out of the carton in the most sexual way that's ever happened. Oh, that was uncomfortable to watch. But she's also having these fights with Batman where she's like, Batman needs to get the hell out of my way. But also flirting with him. It's during this fight that they have the first mistletoe exchange. Oh, yeah. Mistletoe can be deadly if you eat it. Mm, But a kiss can be even deadlier if you mean it. The moment where she's, like, hitting him and he finally hits her back and she's just like, you can't hit me, I'm a woman, was so funny. And then he's just, like, repeatedly punching her as she's punching him. Yeah, well, I mean, she also does that as a ruse so that he'll let his guard down and she can hit him. Yeah. I feel like that's always the reason that Catwoman and Batman are flirty and never actually fight is because they don't want to show Batman punching a woman. But in this, they said, nope. (laughs) They do actually kiss here under the mistletoe. Yes, they do. And it's very weird because this relationship does not make sense. No, it's just horny weirdos, right? You know, it's the it's the Watchmen thing of this is a power fantasy and Night Owl can only get a boner if he's wearing his costume. Yeah, but we know that's not true for Bruce Wayne, though. No, because because this brings us to point two. (laughs) He runs into Selena Kyle again and successfully invites her over for dinner, but they have to do it very early because they both have plans because Selena Kyle has plans to kidnap the Ice Princess. And he has plans to stop her. Yes. So 
the dinner date is in stately Wayne Manor, which is, it's great. Again, talking about the sets of this movie, there are these enormous rooms that are just empty. Well, yeah, because he's Batman. He doesn't give a shit what his room looks like. He's such a weirdo. And they're just like chilling, watching TV together. Are you girlfriend? Sure. Oh, you mean, uh, as in serious? Uh, no, had one, didn't work. What went wrong? Hang on, I think I know. You kept things from her. No, told her everything. Huh? And the truth frightened her? Well, there are two truths. You know, and she had trouble reconciling them because I had trouble, um, reconciling them. Yeah. See, Vicky thought... Vicky? Ice skater or stewardess? <laughs> no, she was a um, photojournalist. Well, was Vicky right about your difficulty with duality? See, if I say yes, then um, you're going to think of me as a... Uh, Norman Bates, uh, Ted Bundy type, and, uh, well, you might not let me kiss you. The so-called normal guys who always let you down. Sickos never scare me. At least they're committed. Yeah, it's very boring date, in a way. And again, it's it's the kind of thing of, like, these people are so strange, and they don't really know how to be people, where, like, the tension of so many other Batman movies, of, especially, like, the Nolan movies and the, the Ben Affleck Batman, the tension of it is always, like, Bruce Wayne is this guy who feels like he has to be Batman, and wouldn't it be great if he didn't have to be Batman, and he could live a normal life? Right. And the Keaton Batman, and I think Pattinson gets this, too, is, like, Bruce Wayne is a maniac who doesn't know how to be a person and only feels like he has any direction when he is Batman. And so Selena Kyle weirdly is the same way where she had this aimless life. She was adrift. She was frustrated. She was this like, you know, the frustrations of the nineties woman. She moved to the city only to like get a low paying, low respect job. Right. And then she is after her murder totally unleashed to be the most like the most woman that she can be just like as tim burton would see it like unbridled sexuality and power and so it's funny that selena and bruce are attracted to each other almost like they're sensing the other stuff that's going on where the two of them are much more at home in these costumed identities and do not know how to engage with a person otherwise yeah and it's funny when they both leave and they're both telling alfred like I, I need you to let them know, like, it's not that I don't like them. I like them a lot. But they both just run out, which is honestly my favorite part of the date, besides when she makes the boner joke. And so after that, that's when they have the rooftop. They have, like, another fight. They are dealing with the Ice Princess. And they don't seem to be running into each other much because Batman has to deal with the Penguin having hijacked his car. And then he has to, like, dub the Penguin over to reveal that he hates Gotham. Very funny scene. And Alfred comes in and is like, I assume we will not be attending Max Shrek's ball. And then Batman's like, oh, but Max Shrek, like, Selina Kyle might be there. So I'm going to go. And Alfred just gives the biggest eye roll. But so point number three is this, like, swanky Max Gerade ball. Let me ask you something. 
Why'd you come tonight? You first. See you. That's lovely. And I really wish I could say the same, but I came from Max. What do you mean? You and... Not you and Max. <laughs> won't solve anything speech because it will. Aren't you tired of this sanctimonious Robert Baron always coming out on top when he should be six feet under? I'm sure you have a lot of problems with your boss, but I mean, who the hell do you think you are? I don't know anymore, Bruce. <laughs> It is very fancy. Yeah, we don't really go to parties like that. No. Part of me wishes we did. Yeah, it would be fun every once in a while. That's what was fun about everybody getting, all of our friends, including both of us, getting married this year. Is like, you know, every six weeks, we, we all got to look good and dance together. Yeah. It was nice to dress up. Yeah. Dances are wasted on teenagers. So anyway, at this party, Bruce and Selena find each other and are dancing, having a good time. And they're both really unsubtly making references to their alter egos. Right, it's funny because, like, the only explanation is they both have to be like, well, if she doesn't know I'm Batman, like, no reasonable person would make that jump. And she's probably like, barely anybody has seen Catwoman. Right. No one really knows who she is. She's not, like, a Joker-esque character. There is no cat signal lighting the sky. Yeah. She hasn't made a big splash. At one point, she does suggest that they go find a California king over in the bedding section of the department store. Good line. Right, again, it's like, this movie is, like, pretty explicitly sexual. Yeah, like, she's like, let's go fuck in the department store. And he says, oh no, I have to go fight crime, essentially. Well, what happens is they find themselves under mistletoe, and they repeat back the lines that they said to each other during their fight as Batman and Catwoman. My god, they're so unsubtle, and yet he tries to treat when he actually pulls his cowl off like a reveal. No, he doesn't. Not in the fight, he doesn't. Because when they do the, the mistletoe thing again, mistletoe can be deadly if you eat it, and a kiss can be even deadlier if you mean it. At that point, they like look at each other shocked, and she says, does this mean we have to start fighting? I guess it's just that he takes it off at all. I like it, because what he's doing there is he's trying to appeal to her. Like He then is the voice yeah. of, like, we can have a normal life, which is unusual for a Batman movie, right? Normally, it's people appealing, like to in the Nolan Batman. movies, it's people being like, you don't have to be Batman anymore. And in this one, he's like, we could just be normal. You know what is the most logical thing about this movie that no other Batman movie has? Hmm. How many bat suits he has. Yes. I loved what he went through because these things, you gotta have more than one. And his whole closet full of suits and cowls is very funny. Yeah. You know, it's you think about like, in Spider-Man comics, when he gets in fights, he always gets holes in, like, the same spot in his costume. 
And part of it, it's because, like, it creates fun stuff where you can show, like, tufts of hair sticking out. But it is funny to think about it otherwise of, like, right, because once he starts re-sewing it there, the, the stitching isn't quite as good. So it's going to keep breaking holes in the same spot. Yeah. The ripping rubber is also so funny. Yeah. I love this bat suit. I, you know, the thing about every bat suit is, like, Batman was designed by comic book artists who did not have to wear it in real life. And so, like, no bat suit is practical as a thing to actually go around and do stuff in. Yeah, because it's a weird idea. Right, so they all have their own weird limitations. And the Keaton one in particular, because the cowl is attached to the shoulders, it means he can't turn his head. And the result of it is that Batman has this like weird, distinctive fight style in the movie, which is all about these like dramatic turns, which I kind of love. But that's a performance choice that comes out of the limitation of the costume. I don't think it's a performance choice so much as a performance imposition. (laughs) Okay, fine. But, like, Keaton has talked about, like, that stillness then informs the choice not to have Batman be really chatty, right? It's not about, like, fluidity. He's not Spider-Man. It's about bold poses, basically. This movie also plays up the detective angle. I guess what I'm getting at with, like... What I so love about the limitations of the costume and how that affects the performance, you know, I'm we're in the time of year where I'm seeing the Ant-Man trailer a lot. And I like those movies, but you're never going to get that kind of a performance when the action is mostly CGI. Yeah, because it's just people on a green screen. And because, like, people responding to limitations, that helps to create a character. And when the fight scenes are, like, basically fully digital, you you aren't going to create character in the same way. You're just doing previs stuff. Yeah, I mean, think about Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. God, just the best. That, like, you develop personality through fight scenes, but generally only if it's practical. Yeah. It's dance. It it should be dance. Yes, it should be dance. And that's why I always lose interest in Marvel properties once they get to the big fight scene. Like, for me, the most egregious is WandaVision, where... I just fully did not care at the end. I was like, wow, what an interesting, like, portrayal of dealing with grief through television and media. Oh, nope, they're just shooting CGI light at each other for an hour. Yeah. Not the greatest dismount. No. Anyway, uh, point number four is the last fight. They do not fight immediately after discovering each other's identities because at that point, the penguin interrupts the party. Yes, the penguin who has lost the... Election for mayor, kidnaps Max Shrek. I assume he withdraws, or Max Shrek withdraws his support, because once Batman broadcasts Penguin dissing Gotham, the election plotline just never comes up again. Well, that's true, because it's also not even an election. It's supposed to be a recall, so then there's not enough signatures to get the recall going. Yeah, I think that's it. So, at this point, Catwoman is just focused on she wants revenge on Max Shrek, which... Largely fair, he did murdering her. And Bruce is trying to talk her down so that, like, they can go and have a nice life together. And, like, she doesn't have to be Catwoman. She doesn't have to have razor blades attached to her fingers. Why are you doing this? Let's just take him to the police. Then we can go home. Together.
truth. I would, I would love to live with you in your castle. Forever, just like in a fairy tale. I just couldn't live with myself. So don't pretend this is a happy ending. And he's like, we can just send him to jail because we have evidence that he did this. And she's like, no, he needs to die. And she walks through bullets using all of her nine lives to get up to Max Shrek. At which point she kisses him while using a taser on exposed electrical cables to electrocute themselves. Initially, this would have turned Billy D. Williams into Two-Face and killed Catwoman. But Billy D. Williams is not in this movie, so it kills Max Streck. And it doesn't kill Catwoman because she tested incredibly well with early audiences. So they then, at the last minute, literally weeks before the movie opened, added the little tease at the end that, like, maybe Catwoman will come back. Which, uh, like, I don't know. That just felt right. It does. She's indestructible. Catwoman is, like, one of the best Batman characters. You can't just kill her off. She's also just, like, the horny subtext of comics. She is the horny subtext of all comics. And so you just need to have her there. You can't kill the heart and soul of comic book horniness. It's, it's a part of the medium. And what that horniness looks like has changed a lot over the decades, but it's always there. I mean, I guess, I wonder, that probably just started because of Eartha Kitt. Um, maybe. I honestly have not read enough Batman to be able to speak to when Catwoman takes on that characterization, whether it comes out of Eartha Kitt or whether it's there in, like, the comics of the 60s. Yeah. I've read the Scott Snyder stuff. I've read a lot of the Frank Miller stuff. And and that's kind of it. Because Eartha Kitt is just also horniness personified. Of course. So by casting her, they really did make a bold statement about the character of Catwoman. And, of course, Michelle Pfeiffer did get an MTV Movie Award for Most Desirable Female for this role. Fair enough. I mean, terrible category name, but you can't argue with their selection. Yeah. Danny DeVito also bizarrely got a Razzie nomination for this movie, which I think is crazy. That's dumb. I thought you were going to say Danny DeVito was nominated for Most Desirable Male I for wish. this movie. Oh, God, that would be an iconic choice. So point number five is just the Penguin's whole deal. Oh, my God. And it's an ordeal. Mr. Cobblepot, you are the coolest role model a young person could have. And you're the hottest young person a role model could have. Here. Wear a button. Let me just get it on there. Thank you. Thank you. This again gets at, like, the Penguin seems to be a guy who is surfacing for the first time in this movie. When the movie starts, he is a rumor. Like, Gotham's crappy newspapers are hawking stories of the Penguin Man. And so then you're asking questions like, all right, has the Penguin ever had sex? I think yes. It seems like yes, but with who? A penguin? No, the one of the circus freaks. Could be one of the circus freaks. Maybe the poodle lady. What's her freakishness? Just that she <laughs> kind of vaguely looks like a poodle? I think that's it. 
as we all know, penguins and circus criminals, two aesthetics that just flesh really neatly. It works in this movie. So the penguin is just really horny. He talks openly to people about how he wants to grope them. That's why he wants to be mayor so that he can grope people. He repeatedly tries to get Catwoman to have sex with him. He has like a whole incel speech about how she's given him all the signals and shutting him down. So what are we waiting for? Let's consummate our fiendish union. What are you talking about? Oh, come on. Can't you picture? It's dark in the mayor's mansion. I'm bushed. So here you come into the bedroom, twitching your little tail. My slippers in one hand, a dry martini in the other. Oh, please. I wouldn't touch you to scratch you. You lousy minx! I ought to have your spade! You sent out all the signals! And I don't think I like you anymore! And when eventually everyone forsakes him, he dies alone in the sewers and is shepherded into a watery grave by his penguin allies. What a death it is. It's great. All right, Will. Do you find the romance and that grossness of the penguin believable? No. I partially just think, like, Bruce and Selina are so strange. They're such weird people. I think it's too romantic for how bizarre they are. You know, I like, I'm glad that those crazy kids found each other, even for a moment, but, like, this is not going to be a, a high-ranked one. I believe Like, if we were doing, like, would... The Dark Knight, The Dark Knight would rank high. I believe that they are horny for each other. Yeah. But the way that it, like, is portrayed as romantic, I don't believe. Yeah, th- I mean, there is something, like, young adolescent about the fact that they're like, oh, I'm really into you, but I can't say anything about it. Yeah. And, like, him going to the party because she might be there. But they're adults. <laughs> right. So where would you rank it on a scale of 1 to 10? I don't know. I'm thinking about Penguin too because there are a lot of creepy people, and... It's, I think it's also notable that Penguin strikes out, right? Nobody yeah, gets with him. That's true. There is that one fangirl, like, at his campaign office that he puts the button on. Right, but, like, this is her first time meeting him. Yeah. So, I might give Batman Returns, like, a five. Yeah. I was thinking, like, a four. It's okay. really hard to get over just how the Penguin is as a character. He's shaped like an Eggman. Because they made him, like, they built up behind his neck with the suit, so he doesn't have a neck either. Right. And he's, like, fully round. He is an egg shape. Yeah. He looks like Humpty Dumpty. Jesus Christ. I'm gonna go with the four. All right, fine. Do you find Bruce or Selina dateable? I think it's pretty clear that no. It's a no, but, like, I want it to be yes with Selina. I mean, maybe pre-Catwoman Selina Kyle. Maybe. She's so she's so down on herself that That's it would be thing. tough. Yeah. But probably no. Yeah. All right. Do you think Bruce and Selena will, will get back together, those crazy kids? No, I don't. No, of course not. If you had to pick one person in this movie to date, who would you choose? I think it's got to be Alfred. I don't think there's any other logical choice. I mean, and that's the thing of, like, that can kind of be your answer in just about every Batman movie. Alfred's just always kind of great. Yeah, I mean, that's the point of the character. But it also would be easy for him to be, like, generic British butler. And I think what's fun is seeing people bring some personality. And Michael Goff just has this, like, he's game for it, but he's going to judge Batman for it. Yeah. He'll help him, but... There and, like, Michael judgment. Caine will do that, too. But Michael Caine will be, like, 
I am trying to protect you. And Michael Goff is like, this is fun. I don't think we should do it, but I'm having a good time. Yeah. He's much more fun, Alfred, than the Michael Caine. Mark, you got to watch Lego Batman. I've seen Lego Batman. Oh, okay. I liked it. Will Arnett, one of our great Batman. I forgot about that one. Who was um, Alfred in that one? That is Rafe Fiennes. Okay. Who I believe also voices Lord Voldemort in this movie. I mean, fair enough, if you have him. Yeah. That movie is really great, and its voice cast is really great. But Will, I have a very important question. Should Batman Returns be made into a musical? I mean, yes, right? If you're going to do a Batman... If you're going to do a Batman musical, this is the one to do. Yeah. Right? If you have to adapt a Batman movie, it has to be this one. I think the hardest part is going to be the amount of cat and penguin puppets you need. But, like, it's so theatrical to begin with. In the sets, in the costuming, you've got the Danny Elfman score, which would be fun to use. Danny Elfman can write songs for a musical. He's done it before. It would be fun, right? The thing is, like, so horny. And, you know, we started off the episode talking about cats. but like erotically charged physical performance is what this movie is. And it would be kind of fun to see. And you have none of the problems that like the Spider-Man musical had. No, because this movie is barely about the like effects or the crime even. It is just about the characters. Like really, I don't think you need a Batman musical. There is the Team Starcade one, which is more based on the Schumacher movies than the Burton ones. Mm -hmm. And that is pretty fun. But yeah, I mean, really, I don't think there should be a Batman musical. But if there were one... I would love it to use the aesthetics and the tone of this movie. Yeah, I agree. But I think that is about it for Batman Returns. He has returned and he has gone away. Mark, you put this on the schedule for our Christmas stuff. And I was like, sure, fine, whatever. I'm so glad we saw it in a movie theater because it has so dramatically increased my appreciation of this movie. It looked amazing on the big screen. It's a really good looking movie. Like, it's easy to be tired of Burton. I am certainly tired of Burton these days. I was like fairly hyped for Dumbo. What a letdown. I know. And it's cool to go back to these old ones and be like, he was like a really impressive filmmaker before he was like consumed with CGI goop. And, you know, we did an episode on Beetlejuice. We recorded an episode on Ed Wood that will never come out because my audio was destroyed. <laughs> but it's it's good to go back to these movies. It's cool to go back to these. Next week, though, we will be watching our second Puss in Boots movie. Speaking of movies that are largely about how many lives a character has left. True. It is, I believe, the second Puss in Boots movie ever made after the Christopher Walken one, the canon classics. I mean, if you told me that there had been, like, some, like, kid-targeted movie in the 1930s, I would believe you. Yeah. But DreamWorks is finally dipping their toe into the Puss in Boots well. Yeah, so as this episode comes out, Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, is in theaters. So we will be talking about it next Monday and also doing our top 10 movies of 2022. Go check it out. You know, if you like the Puss in Boots character, you should support DreamWorks finally making a movie based on him. I'm intrigued. We'll find out. But until then, you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Love the Love Pod. And you can email us questions and movie suggestions at lovethelovepod at gmail.com. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify to help other people find the show. Last question. What is the best piece of dating advice we got from Batman Returns? A date can be casual. Just like have people over, watch TV, chat. You can still have a nice time. Yes, but I feel like there's a lot of implications if you just invite someone over for TV. Sure. Uh, My advice is 
don't be too obvious setting up scenarios where you can run into a person. But if you know someone you are interested in might be at a party that you were invited to, maybe consider going. Don't invite yourself to a party that you're not invited to, though. (laughs) There you go. Until next time, I'm a ginger. And I'm gay. So between the two of us, we know everything there is to know about romance. Bye! Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Hey! Jingle bells, Batman smells, Robin laid an egg. The Batmobile lost the wheel, and the Joker got away.